Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Stayed on side. The late man Matthews. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Matthews flipped it up for Marner. Mitch Marner centering. Hyman to the net. Scores. He took fast down and his shot trapped is in the corner of the ring. All right, here we go. Episode 45 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network at Ken Stapon at LeafsPod at HockeyPodNet. And a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot when using code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, and assist mean more with the DraftKings daily fantasy lineup on the line. Baseball fans, you might have missed your opportunity for the season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain cold, hard cash. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for the players, so what are you waiting for? Head to the App Store now, download the DraftKings app, and use promo code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in on the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. No Brendan McCarthy, who is a healthy scratch for the podcast this evening due to a scheduling faux pas, but I am pleased to be joined by Rachel Dory, the host of the Staff and Graphs podcast, uh, currently doing analytics for BMO and formerly of the New Jersey Devils. Rachel, thank you for taking the time to join me this evening. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty pumped for this. (laughs) yeah i was gonna say like well i was gonna get into some hot soccer talk right out of the gate here but i have a feeling that uh judging by your social media feed uh you have some strong opinions on the tom wilson situation so we can get into that right out of the gates um first off what are your thoughts on the hits and the punishment for wilson because obviously there's been some fallout with the new york rangers organization that we'll get into in just a minute here honestly like it's a joke. It's it's a total joke. Um, the fact that I think Shane Goss, the spirit, was given two games today for just cross-checking a guy after a goal and absolutely should have been suspended. But let's not pretend for a single second that that is more dangerous than what Tom Wilson did. I think where the NHL loses its um, merit is they're too busy punishing the result and not the act because if Panarin – cracks his head open on the ice potentially dies on the ice like we're talking about a criminal investigation here and and potentially very similar to Bertuzzi where Wilson is never seen in the league again and so for me I think that the NHL needs to do a better job of punishing the intent and the act than punishing the result because there's a lot of dangerous plays that could result in very serious injuries 
that go unpunished because there wasn't a serious injury. And then there are plays that are kind of borderline but resulted in an injury, and therefore there's a suspension. So I think that Colin Campbell is a big problem. Um, essentially, anybody, the old guard that kind of gives the mandate to the officials and DOPS, which is should just be wiped clean. They all should be fired. Um, I think it needs to be uh, Mark Savard, Paul Correa, Ray Ferraro, that kind of player needs to be running DOPS because they were actually on the receiving end of this kind of stuff. And so for me, the NHL missed the boat big time. When I look at the way that this was handled, because I'm definitely in the same camp as you, that I don't think that the Department of Player Safety came down hard enough on Wilson. And part of what's going to be the fallout because of that and is this brings up this whole conversation about the code and the players having to hold each other accountable and stand up for each other is that when the department of player safety doesn't hand out a punishment that the rest of the league or the rest of the players or the organization organization that's involved with the initial, you know, situation, whatever it is, when they view it to be uh, an underwhelming punishment, that's when you end up with this sort of vigilante justice. Uh, This was a big conversation, you know, in the week prior when Alex Edler had to fight Wayne Simmons because everybody is saying, you know, why did Edler have to fight? He got suspended for a couple of games um, and that should have been enough. In this situation, Wilson doesn't get suspended. He gets fined basically what's pocket change. I know that's the maximum amounts that's allowed under the CBA is five grand. So maybe they have to look at raising the fines for these sorts of issues to actually make it a deterrent because that's just basically pocket change to these guys. But when you're not suspending them, now you see the fallout with the New York Rangers organization where you have all-time greats like Mark Messier basically coming out and speaking like they're Con Smythe you know, in the 1950s, 1960s, suggesting that these teams aren't tough enough and they need to be able to stand up for each other on the ice. And once you start getting that mentality where it's going to be you know, stand up for each other, which I'm not opposed to that, I'm not opposed to team toughness, but now the Rangers are going to be looking for retribution. And I don't think that's good publicity for the league. And it's certainly not how you want to draw positive attention to your sport. Yeah. And I think that the reality of the situation is the NHL just signed a massive new US TV deal. And no matter what happens on the ice, you're always going to have like the old white guys watching the game. Like they're going to watch a game no matter what because they love hockey. But you need to get a new segment of fans. And the reality of the situation is the people my age and younger, they don't want to see this stuff. Nobody wants to watch that. We want to see skill and speed and sick goals. Like, I want to watch McDavid and McKinnon. I don't give a rat's ass about watching Tom Wilson fighting anybody. Like, he's just – it's it doesn't do it for me, and that's not how you're going to grow the game because the reality of the situation is – there's a whole lot more people that are interested in watching what McDavid does on a daily basis than watching what Ryan Reeves or any other enforcer does on a daily basis. And what I would hate to see happen is instead of going at Tom Wilson, what if somebody on the Rangers takes a run at Nick Backstrom, John Carlson? I know he's not playing, but God forbid Alex Ovechkin. Like, that's what you don't want because then you're having – this vigilante justice like you talked about, but it's about other star players and you just can't have that because then you're talking about injuries to some of the most marketable athletes in your league. And quite frankly, like that's a black mark on the league. So for me, this, the NHL wears this big time. It's not about the Rangers. It's not about the Capitals. Although the Capitals definitely have some responsibility. They need to sit Tom Wilson down and go listen enough's enough. Like, to me, I would not even be playing Tom Wilson tonight because I think that that just opens the door for a whole whack of mess that you just don't need. Yeah, it could be a bloodbath. And I'm kind of surprised, actually, you know, looking at the schedule, that the league just didn't say, we're just going to give you a game and sort of get that, you know, last game against New York out of the way and let everything simmer down a little bit over the offseason and let everybody just relax a little bit. But now it's like, obviously, you know, the Capitals are going to dress Wilson tonight. Who knows what's going to happen? I'm not even sure that really, you know, the Rangers, even in their farm system, have any players capable of standing up to Wilson. 
And, you know, we heard Ray Ferraro talking about this yesterday as basically he brought up the point that you just brought up back in their heyday. If this happened, it would be players chasing around the best players on the other team, like your Nick Backstrom's, like your John Carlson's. And obviously the league has trended away from that, which I think is a real positive, but it still seems like this is overstepped a boundary. And you see the fallout today. It's like now with the James Dolan dropping the hammer, basically, uh, they fired their president, John Davidson, and their general manager, Jeff Gorton, basically because there wasn't enough pushback. Uh, I was pretty surprised to see these firings, considering that the New York Rangers have made some tremendous strides over the last several seasons. It seems like the core that's in place has a chance to grow into a fairly competitive roster in the coming years. But obviously, James Dolan didn't like what he saw um, and didn't like the response that his group had and felt like he needed to make a change at this point in time. Yeah. Um, James Dolan is not known to meddle with the Rangers. He's too focused on the Knicks. But this is very, well very... Either. <laughs> yeah, this is very, very clearly a case of someone who decided kind of off the cuff to make this choice and be quite honest with you i think it's really silly um it it's kind of been baddied about that james dolan was the one that made that statement and davidson and gorton didn't kind of defend it within the league but at the same time whether or not that's true like the rebuild is going very well like yes they won two lotteries but you've got Adam Fox, he signed Panarin. Like, you've got two Just fantastic young goaltenders. Yeah. Like, to me, look at what's happening in New York and look at what's happening in Vancouver, right? Like, this is ridiculous. And so I'm, I'm not buying this whole uh, James Dolan isn't happy with the rebuild because working in New Jersey – like, you hear enough through the grapevine uh, because the, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Devils, they're all pretty, like, tight-knit, and everybody talks. And from all accounts, like, James Dolan was pretty impressed with how the rebuild was going. So I'm not necessarily buying it. Um, I think this was a knee-jerk reaction. And given everything that's happened with the Rangers this year, I mean, my God, you've got the Tony D'Angelo stuff, which is a whole different thing. you got Keandre Miller dealing with racism on a near-daily basis. Like, there's just so much happening in that organization that, if anything, it needs less distractions, not more. And all this has done is created a bigger distraction. Don't forget the Artemi Panarin leave of absence earlier in the year as well. It feels like this whole year has just been, you know, storyline after storyline for New York. And I'm with you. I think that the timing is too convenient. Like, this sort of stuff just doesn't happen, you know, the day after you know, there's this huge publicity nightmare, you know, surrounding your team. And I'm not saying that's necessarily involving the negativity is surrounding the New York Rangers, but obviously it's just too close, too close to the actual event that happens to not think that the two acts are associated. So, you know, what's I, crazy is yeah, go ahead. like, I saw that statement and I was like, you know what? Good for them. That's exactly yeah. what needed to be said. And it is the New York Rangers who are an original six team who bring a lot to the table revenue-wise, right? The Rangers, the Leafs, the Habs, Blackhawks, Bruins are the reason a lot of NHL teams get to stay afloat because of revenue sharing. So when that statement comes down, that's not a statement from Dallas or Arizona. Like We're talking about the New York Rangers. And so I could tell you, like that definitely didn't go over well at NHL head office. But... Quite honestly, like I, I kind of wish that the Amazon Prime documentary that's happening with the Leafs was happening with the Rangers this year because there's just yeah, so true. much going on, and it would have been such a marketing tool for the league, like to show this level of behind the scenes. Maybe it's a tire fire, but still, it's entertaining, <laughs> and, and that's what you want. And so for me, like I don't, I don't buy this. Like if you weren't happy with the rebuild then you fire someone after the season. You don't fire them with five games left. And, like, honestly, look at the division they're in this year. They weren't making the playoffs. You crazy? Look who's in that division this year. There's no No, chance they were making the playoffs. (laughs) No, it was going to be difficult. I was looking at the the other day, and I'm like, well, who are you going to beat out then? 
because you can't really be upset about any of the teams that are in front of you. It's not as if, you know, like Dallas gets the door slammed on them by Nashville in that division. You're kind of like, well, what the hell happened there? The team was in the cup final a year ago. And, you know, you lose some key players for the majority of the season, but you still figure that they're going to be a playoff team. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that you say tire fire when it comes to the New York Rangers and wanting to see behind the scenes because some of the best reality <laughs> television is completely based around just terrible, terrible situations. And uh, I will say, as a noted Maple Leaf fan, and I follow that team the most closely, I wouldn't trade the Amazon Prime documentary to any other team because I'm so excited to watch uh, what that team has gone through this year in a year when they're dominating the division. But if it were, I was going to pick another team for it to be on, New York would have to be at the top of the list. Yeah, I just think that, I mean, this is a great marketing tool and it probably should be happening with more than one team. Um, and the Rangers have the money and the production to be able to do this. I mean, you've got MSG networks there. Um, crying out loud, even NHL network. And so for me, like, I think there's always intrigue around this kind of stuff. But for me, like, man, you look at it and you go, there's so much that happened this year in New York. Just imagine if we could get a peek behind the curtain. Would you not kill to be a fly on the wall for oh, the Tony so D'Angelo much. stuff. I would the love Panarin it The so Panarin stuff. Yeah. Right? Well, it's like some of the, even the prior editions of this series, which I'm sure you're familiar with it, they follow around a bunch of the Premier League teams. The one yep. with, where they follow Manchester City, I found so fascinating. Because you just have Pep in there just zipping around magnets on a board. And then, you know, yeah. when you look at... On the flip side, when Mourinho takes over in Tottenham, it's like they've got all the digital stuff. It's all the fanciest equipment. And just to see the you know disparagency in, the, in coaching styles and management styles, I find it to be so fascinating. And it's interesting because everyone says, oh, you got to have digital. you got to have this. you got to have that. Who's in the Champions League final? Yeah. I believe it's Pep Guardiola. Yeah. He is. <laughs> just zipping them around. If, like, if I know the ball goes here, about... you go here. I'm like, that makes sense to me, and I'm not a huge football fan. Yeah, like I know enough about Bayern behind the scenes to know that Pep essentially hasn't really changed in terms of how he does things from when he coached that team. Yeah. And But what he's done is his tactics have evolved. And Pep is one of those guys that is able to adjust his tactics for the personnel that he has. And there's not a whole lot of coaches that can do that or GMs that can do that, right? Oh, we want to build a team with superstars. Yeah. Well, you don't have one. So you better adjust and figure out a different way to win, right? And so I think that we could learn a lot from from Pep. But just from a an entertainment standpoint, there's nobody that watched that Manchester City uh, documentary that wasn't entertained. That was fantastic. It was really well done. And and so for me, like I think the NHL wants to grow and, and wants to increase their revenues. This is the path they need to go down. Yeah. Well, you saw the success of the early editions where it was just the road to the Winter Classic. And it would just be a couple I love of those. episodes. Yeah, it was awesome. And then they're kind of like, all right, well, maybe we got something here. Fans are always going to be foaming at the mouth to see what's going on behind the scenes. We all, well, we, we all had it in interviews. New Jersey. Yeah. We had well, that because when I was there, we did that global series, right? Against, true. I believe. Yeah. So like, we had the cameras around and rolling. And I'm a little, I would say I'm camera shy. So like there was a point <laughs> where I physically. You were trying to get in on any of the shots. <laughs> I, I physically, I saw the camera pointed in my general direction because they were, I was standing near Ray Shiro. And when I, t I moved so fast, I was like, no, I am not having any part of this. Like, I was still like, I'm fresh faced. Like, I don't, I don't need any of that nonsense. I moved out of that shot quicker than lightning. <laughs> I was like, no, absolutely not. I went and sat down at the back corner of the room. So for me, it's like, you want to see the behind the scenes. And I kind of know what it's like, but like at the same time, the NHL teams, like, they still have copy edit. Like, so Ray and Pete Albies, who's the head of PR there, 
would watch the episode before it came out and say X this or can't have that in there or yes, this is good to go. So it's kind of like you don't really get that unfiltered um, view of it because you still have these crusty guys that are like, no, can't have that in there. <laughs> and it's like, dude, if Manchester City and Tottenham and Chelsea can have it without all of this nonsense, then so can you because you are a lot smaller. Well, I'm sure that there is somebody, though, combing through those tapes just saying, you know, are we good to go on this? Like for those big clubs as well, right? Maybe it wasn't the GM. Maybe they just have a PR team or whoever, but somebody's watching the tapes. Like, you know, for the Maple Leafs edition, it's going to be watched, you know, hundreds of times over before it's given the green light to be released. Oh, yeah. Steve Keogh, Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas, probably like they'll be watching that. Um, And we all know that this would never have happened. If Lou Lamorella was the GM, it would not Bobby have been allowed. Yeah, I thought it was so funny when uh, Palmari got tra- traded to uh, the Devils or the Islanders, rather. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up here. And like the next day, he had no beard. <laughs> it was so predictable, you but know. still so hilarious at the same time. Yeah, and like I, I remember on my own podcast, M- Mikey was kind of like, "What's your prediction?" And I was like, "Well." Oh, the- the 100%. Islanders are going to trade for at least one of Zajac or Paul Mary, if not both. Yeah. And then it happened like two days later. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. Like, I'm not psychic and I didn't actually know anything. I just kind of am able to read the tea leaves. I know enough people that you could see that happening. But, I mean, I know someone who's pretty close to Kyle. And uh, he didn't have to be told. Lou hasn't told anyone to shave in God knows how long. It's just a respect thing and people already know. So they just do it. As a show of respect, I don't think he's actually told anyone, like, go and shave for almost a decade. <laughs> it's just like when you show up, like, you'll show up with a beard on day one and, like, the captain hands you a razor and just says, yeah, and go it's... <laughs> take care of this, if that's, if that's even necessary. It's probably not necessary. No, like, they have... knows what the deal is. I heard enough stories in New Jersey where, like, they had razors, like, provided to them in the locker room. I'm like, why is this team not sponsored by, like, Gillette? (laughs) It's a good sponsor. It's probably because they're already sponsoring uh, a certain football team that's also uh, just north of the tri-state area there. That's uh, kind of a big rival to all the New York sports teams. Fair um, enough. Yeah, so it can't can't be double dipping. I heard a hilarious story about Lou that I just want to get into quickly here. Um, that when he was in New Jersey as the GM, he wanted an encoded phone so that nobody would be able to like listen on the lines or it would be one hundred percent private. So when he came That's to correct. Toronto, so when he came to Toronto, <laughs> he was trying to. He's like, I want an encoded phone. Everybody's like, well, what the hell does that mean? So they were trying to figure out, like calling all these companies, seeing if they could get, you know, the proper installation put in for Lou Lamorello. And they couldn't find anybody to do what he was asking them to do. So they ended up calling the New Jersey Devils organization. We're like, listen, you know, Lou just came in. He wants us to get an encoded phone. We were told that he had one when he was in New Jersey. Like, where did you guys go? And they're like, oh, well, we just went and bought a red phone cable and plugged it in and told him that it was encoded. <laughs> and, that, and that was the end of it. <laughs> you know what's so funny is that particular phone that you're referring to, when you get out, so in New Jersey, how it works is there's a hockey operations floor and nobody else is allowed on that floor. Um, I think that's kind of changed since Lou has been gone, but even under Ray, like, PR was in one corner and then hockey ops was kind of like the rest of the floor. And like, you were not really to go in the hockey ops side if you were not like, if you didn't belong there. Um, But that particular phone that you are referring to, because I had heard this story too. And I asked somebody who was with the devils for the entirety of loose tenure about it. And this person looked at me dead in the face and said, yep, that's absolutely (laughs) true. And then that person showed me the phone. That phone now sits on the desk. So when you open, when the elevator door is open to the first floor, which is the hockey operations department, there's like a desk because there used to be a secretary that sat there basically to be like, why are you here and who are you kind of thing. And they would just send you right back in the elevator if you weren't supposed to be there. That phone sits on that desk now and like obviously doesn't get used. 
But it's so funny because every day I would walk by that phone multiple times and I would just laugh because it, it was it's just so funny. And then at one point we had like a mannequin and we dressed it up in like devil's attire and held the phone to its ear. I think I might still have a picture of it. <laughs> but like I love just it. to screw around and be dumb. But yeah, like there's I remember when the cameras were in our offices and I thank God I was kind of like at the end of the hall by the kitchen. Which is probably where like I belong. Hey, that's not a bad much, spot for your office yeah. to be, right next to the given kitchen. Given how much food I walk. eat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Given how much food I eat, it's probably good that I was near the kitchen. Um, but I was lucky enough to kind of escape from any of the uh, the camera stuff. But I could, I see why it's uh, enticing, and and I kind of, I I wish that the Rangers had that happening this year. Well, I. There is something that I want to get into you with you in a minute here. It's actually the reason I asked for the interview because you wrote a really interesting paper on how to quantify a hockey IQ. So I'll get into that with you in just a minute. Uh, but I would be remiss. This is a Maple Leafs podcast. So I would like to get your thoughts briefly on that team, this group, what you've seen that maybe you like, and what you've seen that maybe is a question mark for this team moving into what's looking like an imminent top seed in the North Division come the playoff time. Um, I'll start with the obvious. I, uh, have liked the play of Austin Matthews. Yeah, it's, uh, um, I feel good. like that is a foregone <laughs> conclusion. Um, I have really been impressed with the top end of the lineup's commitment to a 200 foot game. Um, Matthews and Marner are both top 10 in various defensive categories. And you'd be shocked to hear that a couple of years ago. William Nylander has always been decent defensively. It's just he makes it look so easy that, like, your uncle from Port Perry gets angry about it. Um, but he's been good defensively. JT has always been good defensively. Zach Hyman, nobody ever has any issues with. But to me, just the commitment from the overall team to team defense um, has really been the biggest um, step in the right direction uh, for me. I also find it absolutely hilarious that they're now known as like a dirty goon squad team, considering <laughs> as early as last oh. year, we were told that this is such a soft team and this, that, and the other. And now you've got people like Wayne Simmons who will punch your head off and people like Joe Thornton who will literally grab you by your neck if you're not playing the right way. And so, I mean, I, I really like that. I love the addition of TJ Brody. I think he's been Toronto's most consistent defenseman. Um, Rasmus Sandin, I don't quite think he's ready for a top four role yet. I think middle of next season, probably. But absolutely, if the Leafs are to go anywhere, he's going to be a key piece, um, kind of special teams and, and that bottom pair. The biggest concern I have is the goaltending, which given how the goaltending has performed the past few years in the playoffs, is not a great feeling to have. Um, that kind of nonchalant statement about Freddie Anderson today was a little bit concerning. Jack Campbell being up and down and sort of injured, a little bit concerning. Dave Riddick, Michael Hutchinson, you never know kind of what you're going to get there. It's it's a little bit too inconsistent for my liking. Um so I, I truly think that if the Leafs are going to be undone, it'll be by their goaltending for the fourth year in a row. And I think that's the big question. Uh, you nailed down the head. It's uh, what they're going to do come postseason time about the starting netminder. And, you know, I would give not, it to Campbell. Well, they're going to have to it's give it unless Anderson can sneak in some starts, which I don't really see how that's going to happen unless like they do some serious shifting on the cap. And that's likely going to not have possible. To, yeah, it's, you can't. You basically can't get him an NHL start by the end of the season. Like is, and they knew they kind of knew that when they moved the money around, and you were it opened the door for them to make the additions of Nick Foligno and to bring in, you know, Riley Nash and to make these you know depth acquisitions that they wanted. It gave them the green light to do that, but by putting Anderson on the LTIR and freeing up that five million bucks, you also knew that you weren't going to be able to free up the five million to bring him back into the lineup until the cap disappears come playoff time. And how comfortable are you as a group throwing in a goaltender who basically hasn't skated or he's been skating a little bit now, but it was like the middle of March since he's played a competitive game and 
are you just going to toss him in in the playoffs then? Like, I wouldn't Absolutely be comfortable not. with that. <laughs> that would be categorically Disaster. insane. I say Campbell gets start one. If he plays well, he obviously gets start two. To me, Campbell has to play probably two bad games to have Freddie Lawrence. Anderson go yeah. in. It would be different if it's not a time for you to be screwing around, especially not with the team that you have. The other concern I have is that third line gets shelled, and Alex Kerfoot has had a brutal year. And so for me, like we want to talk about guys coming in and out of the lineup. It's pretty bold to say, but he's probably someone I consider taking out of the lineup, especially when Riley Nash is healthy. Because if you can have – let's say your top two lines are uh, Hyman – Tavares, Nylander, Felino, Matthews, Marner. I think if you can have a third line that has Simmons, Nash, and Mikheyev, that's a pretty good third line. And so and maybe you move Felino around. Maybe you put Kerfoot with Matthews and Marner, and you put Felino, Nash, Simmons, because Felino and Nash are two of – Nash is one of the best defensive forwards in the league. Um, and Felino, he's fantastic defensively. But to me, that third line getting shelled on a nightly basis and a lot of it having to do with Alex Kerfoot is a big concern um, because you cannot afford to be having that happen in the playoffs, especially if you're not confident in your goaltending. Especially when the head coach has put such an emphasis on wanting the third line to be a bona fide checking line or to have an impact on the game where they're going to be able to come in, wear the opposition down, but at the same time, like it's not useful for your group if they're going to be coming in and then giving up a goal. That's the opposite of what a checking line is supposed to be. They're supposed to be the ones who are softening up the defense and cycling the puck and making it difficult on the other team so that then when your first line, second line pile over the boards, maybe the other team is a little bit tired out, especially if you can catch them in the middle of a shift. Uh, they haven't been able to get any consistency on that line to this point this year. And in large part, it's been because of the rotating door in the bottom six. Like nobody's really been able to pull away and solidify themselves. Even Ilya Mikheyev that you mentioned before, uh, we had Kristen Shelton on the pod last week, and she thinks that he's probably the most likely guy, even before Kerfoot, to get yanked out of the lineup just because he hasn't been able to have that finishing touch. Now, I know the defensive analytics have been good. He kills penalties. He's got really high top-end speed. But it doesn't seem like there's any certainty about what Sheldon Keefe wants to do. And that's going to be a problem if they can't solidify that and get some consistent play out of their bottom six. Yeah, I would uh, I would disagree with Kristen. Um, Mikheyev is far too good on the penalty kill. He is their best penalty killer. Um, he's far too good on the penalty kill. And the reality is, is you're not paying Ilya Mikheyev to score. Because you are not winning jack all in the playoffs. <laughs> it's 34, 16, 88, and 91 aren't scoring. If yeah, they don't fair. score, I don't the way I see it, and I, I've said this many times, if you make over seven million dollars a year, I don't care what you do in the regular season. You do not have an option to take a night off in the playoffs. You make way too much money to be taking a night off in the playoffs. So 34, 16, 91. Don't get any nights off in the playoffs. And even to a degree, William Nylander, but to a lesser extent, because his salary is very clearly a bargain. Um, but to me, I don't, I don't think Mikheyev is in any imminent danger of coming out of the lineup. What would be interesting is if you insert somebody like Nick Robertson on the second line, and maybe that allows you to have a line, a third line of Nash, Hyman, Mikheyev, or Nash, Felino Mikheyev. That's Now we're talking. That's a good third line. The question there is, can Robertson take that? Because I don't think Robertson is very clearly not a bottom six forward. He's very clearly a top six forward. I just don't know if he's ready for that yet. But if he is, that certainly increases the depth in your lineup because Robertson, all he does is score and win puck battles. He's very much like Hyman with a better scoring touch. Um, and then that maybe gives you some some proper depth on your third line where you're not as afraid um, to use them because I would not feel comfortable watching Alex Kerfoot play against uh, the likes of Mark Shifley or, God forbid, Connor McDavid. <laughs> and likely... Like, I, I don't want to would... be signed up for that. I do not want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, likely... I. Um... 
I think that you're right. He, Robertson could likely slot in on the first or second line. And the large part that's when you look at his line mates, that would be a decent spot for him because as you mentioned before, um, Nylander, Tavares, Matthews, and Marner have all been very defensively responsible this year. So you could slot him in and almost put him in a little bit more of a sheltered role there. Robertson just needs to channel some of whatever the hell his brother's got going on in Dallas because he is absolutely cooking for the second half of this season. He basically was a foregone conclusion that Kaprizov was going to win the Calder. And then Robertson comes out of nowhere off the top rope in the second half of the season and made it a conversation. I still think that Kaprizov deserves the nod based off of yeah. just, you know, you know, when you get into the deep analytics and his production, you know, for the full year and like who he's playing with. And, you know, when you look at the whole picture, I think he's had the more impressive year. I'm going to throw age out the window because the guidelines That's not say the rules right now. Yeah. The guidelines say 25 or under. So I don't care how old he is. As long as he's under the specification set by the NHL, then it doesn't matter to me. I think that's the most asinine argument going. But it's been so impressive to watch what he's been doing. The difference is I'm very much like Dom Lustrician. Um, you couldn't pay me to watch the Wild up until this year. They were so goddamn boring. Like It was like watching paint dry. He has single-handedly made them not just watchable, but like, I want to watch them. They're fun to watch. He's injected a degree of pizzazz in there. And to me, you want to talk about best rookie. Not only is he their best player, but he's made a team that's been God awful to watch for two decades. Now entertaining. And that is enough for me to get my Calder vote. Like if you somehow can make a paint dry team entertaining for me to watch i'm, oh, I'm sold because there is no greater impact than that well i don't know why everybody's so upset about it either like you said it's like a smaller market that hasn't had a lot to be excited about over the last several seasons all of a sudden this guy comes into the picture and everybody's all pissed off about his age it didn't seem like anybody cared that much a couple of years ago when artemi panarin did the same thing in chicago but that's probably oh, because care. it was in chicago so all of a sudden, so nobody really cares that as much when it's like, oh, it's a bigger market. But for some reason, with Kaprizov, it's like the age thing has become the preponderous story. I don't even think it should be an age thing. I think it should be a professional games played after you're drafted. So if you're playing in the KHL or in the SHL in your draft year, it doesn't count. But as soon as you are drafted by a team, the clock ticks on your professional game. So not the OHL, not. But if you're playing in the KHL. What about the After AHL? you've been drafted, or the AHL, or the SHL, or in Finland, you should get 100 games, let's say. Maybe. Maybe. Like, yeah, whichever, yeah, whichever you know number. The number, the number is kind of arbitrary. You should I get 100 games, because once you've played enough professional hockey at a high level, there should be some type of mechanism. Because what you don't want, if you are... like. Don't get me wrong, Kirill Kaprizov absolutely deserves the Calder. But the guy played like way more than 100 games <laughs> in the KHL before coming over here. And yeah, so it's easy. not necessarily the right thing to do when you compare that to somebody like a bona fide rookie, right? Uh, somebody like, not yeah. that he'd win the, the Calder, but Alexi Lafreniere, right? So yeah, I think for no me, what experience. I would do is it wouldn't yeah, be an sense. age thing, it would be a clock like professional games played ticker no yeah it it makes sense and you got you've got to cap it somehow i I just think with the you know parameters that are in place now from the league you can argue about the parameters all you want but when you're looking at the players within the parameters i think you just have to put your personal subjective opinion to the side and look at it objectively and he's been outstanding for minnesota this year is completely deserving of the award Mm -hmm. Well, it's so, the same, like, people want to bitch about the Calder, right? <laughs> the reality it's, is, it's like the award have, that everybody complains the most about. We have people saying Victor Hedman should win the Norris, and to me, he's not. he doesn't even make my ballot. He's been terrible. Yeah, he's like, been what is this, great, a career eh? achievement award? That's, That's what, the Norris, what the Norris is. is. That's always the what Norris it is, The Norris should go to, like, Adam Fox, Adam Pellick, Ryan Pollock, uh, Jonas Brodeen. 
like those guys. But Victor Hedman getting it is the same like Drew Doughty getting it as a career achievement award. Are you kidding? Like that well, tells me that the people who are voting have no idea what they're doing. Well, it's like you get you have to, you know, string together, it seems like four or five pretty good seasons where you're putting up a large amount of points. And then you start to, you know, get the notoriety nationally with all the sports writers who have the votes. And like you said, you know, the headman conversation is funny because everybody considers him to be one of the best defensemen in the league. And ultimately, you know, he quarterbacked the Tampa Bay Lightning to a championship last year. He was a stalwart for them. But you're right, the analytics haven't been great for him this season, yet in casual conversation, he's still a guy that comes up as a front runner. And in that sense, you're exactly right. It is a lifetime achievement award. People look at the block of work that a defenseman has over the past four or five seasons, and then I think it's basically just laziness. Like they follow the herd mentality or what everybody else is talking about, and they're saying, oh, this person's having a good year. And then you just look at you know the stats column and see... You know, oh, yeah, he has a bunch of points, a bunch of goals. You know, the team is doing really well. Yeah, he must be having a terrific season. When, in retrospect, when you look underneath at the analytics, it can be, he could be having a terrible year. And unless you're un- understanding of that uh, way to analyze a, a player specifically, you're not going to see it. Um, Just to touch on something quickly, only because I have it on in the background, um, there was a line brawl in the opening face-off of the Rangers-Caps game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big surprise. Like, that is That's old-fashioned. Yeah. Like, just unbelievable. And, and funny enough, neither Chara nor Wilson were involved. Yeah, but you just but like, if you're you know, Chara, put just those guys on quickly, the ice. Like, if you're Chara, who is on the ice, who was on the ice for this, like, he is big enough. And Jeff Merrick said that he is big enough to literally murder someone on any given shift for the last like, 20 years. Yeah. But he chooses not to. Does Tom Wilson not have that same obligation? Yes. We know you can injure people. You've clearly demonstrated that. Maybe you just shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Chara has really shown, I think a fair amount of restraint. Like he, he like he's physical. Or throughout his career, he's been physical, but he doesn't kill people for the sake of killing people. He fights when he has to, but he doesn't really go out of his way looking for a fight. He's the example of what you would want out of a guy on your team who holds up his end of the bargain, holds players accountable to like the code to an extent, but definitely doesn't overstep his boundaries given his size and his capability of just destroying people on a regular basis. Yeah, like I think the only match remotely for Chara in the league is Ryan Reeves. And then somebody told it would me never happen though. It's like somebody told me that respect, I feel like Chara takes kickboxing and there is probably nothing more scary in the NHL than Zdeno Chara, who is a woolly mammoth being Six angry eight. at you. Like think about if Chara played on the Rangers and knocked on Tom Wilson's door, I'd be like, no, I don't think so. And that's the other thing with Tom Wilson is he has no issues throwing Panarin around or Oscar Sundquist around. But the second Matt Martin wants to find fight, he so you're a wuss. Like you're a complete wuss. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out moving forward because it certainly seems like uh, the New York Rangers are going to be bolstering their lineup just for that reason. And this is Which to is a lesser extent silly. is why the Maple Leafs went out and signed Wayne Simmons in the offseason. Maybe not to fight every night, but he has answered the bell a couple times for this team this year, and it was just an aspect of the game that they didn't have a guy like that for years. And for whatever it's, reason, it's like the general manager decided that that was an aspect that they were missing. Yeah, and I think they were missing that. Now, it'll be interesting. There's not a whole lot of, like, quote-unquote, tough guys in the North Division. But if the Leafs – let's say the Leafs make the conference final, and someone decides – like, it's no secret Matthews has a bad wrist – Someone decides they're going to take a, a healthy whack at Matthew's wrist. Me thinks that they're probably getting a knock on the door from one of Zach Bogosian or Wayne Simmons. And rightfully yeah. so. Right? Like, I think people were running roughshod on the Leaf star players and something needed to be done about it. Now, Bogosian and Simmons have redeeming qualities about them. They're not 
yeah, just, just like knuckle you know, draggers, fourth line kind yeah, of thing, right? Now, Tom Wilson obviously he's a top line player, but I don't care how good you are, like you don't get to act like a buffoon on a near <laughs> regular basis where you're injuring other people. Keep in mind, he's already been suspended for seven games out of 56 this year. And then yeah. he pulled that nonsense the other night. Like, And he wasn't even supposed really, to be suspended for the first seven. Like, that's the perplexing thing. Like, that was like when my brain just exploded when that report came out that Peros didn't even want to suspend him when he boarded Carlo. The only and reason that, that the suspension came was because Batman was like, nah, like, this isn't it. We have to throw the book at this guy. So that Peros was like, all right, like, we'll suspend him then. But, like, if Peros had his way in that situation, it would have been a no suspension again. Yeah, which is, like, to me, this is why we need Mark Savard and Paul Korea types. People who don't give... Uh, rats behind about the coat like people a lot of people forget that George Peros prior to being hired as the head of department of player safety has a company called the violent gentleman club that literally <laughs> manufactures a t-shirt that says make hockey violent again maybe he's not the right guy for the job I don't That's know it. I don't I, mm, I there is yeah. maybe something there to that well, he's a smart guy too, right? Like a lot of people don't realize. I believe it was like he went to Harvard, correct? He did go to so, Harvard. So he understands his lane. He understands like he's a smart guy. He knew exactly what his role was when he's in the league. He's obviously marketing himself as such, understanding who he was. And, you know, it's smart for him to capitalize on that, try to make some money on that. But is this a guy who's going to have sympathy for players who play with the same way that he did rather than understanding the players who are on the other side, maybe. And I think that your argument is well-received, at least by me, that perhaps it's the smaller guy who is getting pushed around and beat up and ends up with a concussion in the corner who would be more suited to be judging whether an act is egregious or not for suspension rather than the guy who is doing the hits and throwing the bombs. Exactly. And to me, that was like a huge thing. So like, even to a lesser degree, like when I was playing hockey, my last year, uh, I chose to go play for the coach that I wanted to play with. And like I led the league in scoring by a pretty fair margin, but I got whacked like every shift. And thankfully we had somebody, the, the chair of the disciplinary committee for the league that I played in, in Ontario was pretty strict and like pretty cracked down. Like, you cross-check someone in the back of the head, you're getting suspended. You hit someone from behind, you're getting suspended. You throw, like, we sent a video in because a girl so obviously stuck her elbow out and sent me flying. She got suspended for 10 games. Like, that's the kind of stuff we need at the NHL level. And people think, like, oh, you're going to take the physicality out of the game. No, you, you're still allowed to hit. You just can't throw your elbow out or suplex someone yeah. or slash a guy over the head or blindside someone. You could still hit a guy, open ice. Nick Cronwall did it many times. Jake Muzzin does it. Like, there isn't this no hitting. You just can't run guys from behind. And if you have a problem with that, then maybe you need to look in the mirror. I have to tell you, in the league that I played in in the States – it was like the Wild West out there. Like, nobody got suspended ever, especially during, like, the summer seasons. Like, that was when it was just kind of, you'd have the everybody just trying to stay in shape. They would kind of, you know, shuffle the deck on the team so everybody would be playing with random guys. It was really to get everything out of your system before our real season started, which was, like, our high school team season. So that was the one that really mattered. And, it, like, the summer league was just a bloodbath. Like, people would just be getting killed everywhere, and the refs wouldn't be calling penalties. <laughs> it was a disaster. I definitely sustained more than one concussion playing, like, in that league. And then even when it got to, like, the high school league, it was like, at least the refs would call penalties. But it was still, like, you had to be do something ultra egregious 
to ever like even consider getting suspended. Like it never happens. Right. And I think, you know, what's crazy is I have, so I'm 25, right? And I would say probably two or three years. So people who are 28, right? In Canada, they really started to crack down in minor hockey on things like hits from behind and hits to the head, right? Yeah. So a lot of the guys that are Canadian that are playing in the NHL, Tom Wilson included, have all grown up with these rules. So there is frankly no excuse that they're playing this way because the reality is, is if you did that in minor hockey, like there was a kid who played in Newmarket, which is where I lived, and he got suspended for more than half the season because like cumulatively, because he was that much of a loose candy, very much like Tom Wilson. And so to me, I see it and I'm like, you grew up with these rules. Where is the disconnect here? You know you're not supposed to do that. And so for me, it's the NHL allows you to get away with it. Well, now we're at a point where every single player coming into the league has had to deal with these rules in minor hockey. Why are we not applying them at the NHL level? This is ridiculous. Like, look at the OHL. They'll ban you for 10 games for slashing someone hard enough. They routinely, and kudos to Dave Branch, they routinely suspend lengthy suspensions for hits from behind or dangerous hits. Okay, well, all these players have to come from a league that suspends, right? They have no time for this in international hockey. So then all of a sudden you come to the NHL and and it's a free-for-all? Like, there's a massive disconnect there. And I think that that is worn by Gary Bettman and particularly Colin Campbell because there is a complete lack of recognition that the game is changing at every other level and they are so far behind that it's it's just a complete joke. No, and Ferraro was talking about this the other day. And like a big issue as well is the accountability even of the individual teams that have the players who end up, you know, committing these egregious acts, whatever they are. Because when it's your guy who's getting, you know, plastered into the ice, when it's the Rangers and Panarin's done for the season, and they're looking at this saying, you know, Wilson needs to be suspended. But then for the Capitals, they're like, our guy doesn't need to be suspended. Like, this is a hockey play. It's whatever. So it's like that weird back and forth where teams want the book thrown at guys when it happens to their guy. But when it's their guy who's, you know, dishing it out, they don't want the suspension. So there has to be some sort of consistency, but also accountability from the organizations top to bottom as well. Because at the end of the day, if the punishment isn't strict enough, from the Department of Player Safety, then just to to go full circle here, then this is where you end up back to exactly where we are now with an opening line brawl to start a game because neither team liked what happened. Yeah, and, like, it's... Ray is... He would be fantastic for this role. Ray's Um, the GOAT. I'm such a big fan of Ray Ferraro. Ray Ferraro and Mike Johnson stand alone for me. Um, and quite honestly, there does need to be some accountability. Do you think that if the team was fined just as much as, as Wilson loses, let's say every time Wilson's suspended, right? The team is fined however much he loses from his suspension. So let's say he gets suspended seven games and loses 103 grand. Well, now the team gets fined $103,000. Do you not think that there would be a conversation real quick about, Hey, knock it off. Right. And so for me, I think there needs to be some accountability for the team that um, allows this to go on because the capitals absolutely wear some blame here. They need to sit Wilson down and be like, you know what? It's cool to play near the line, but you can't be suplexing people and elbowing other people in the head to the point where they're in the hospital for two weeks. That's not allowed. Like you don't do it. Yeah. Right. To me, like there's gotta be some type of team involvement here and like they need to step up and say enough is enough. I'm with you. Uh, the original reason that I'd actually asked you to come on the pod was I saw a tweet pop up on my feed that I thought was extremely interesting. I was hoping that you could give a little bit more detail about what you were thinking about uh, when you embarked on this research prog- project and what you found without 
uh, revealing too many state secrets. But basically, you've been working on a research paper that you can that gives a quantifiable way to define hockey IQ. Am I explaining that correctly? That's correct. This sounds outstanding, and I cannot wait till whatever point in time uh, you figure out what you need to do with it, and then you know regular schmoes like me get a chance to read it. Uh, can you go into a little bit of detail why you embarked on this project and what you found through your research? Yeah, so I'm doing my master's, and um, the whole crux of it is identifying inefficiencies in hockey operations departments, specifically in drafting and development. And in my time in hockey, I have become so sick and tired of hearing people say, well, you can't measure hockey sense. It's innate. Well, he either has it or he doesn't. Like, are you kidding? Like, that's just lazy. And so for me, I'm, I was pretty much like, you know what? I bet that soccer IQ is quantifiable. I get. I bet that you could do this in tennis. I bet you could do it in lacrosse. So if you could do it in those sports, then you sure as hell can do it in a Neanderthal sport like hockey. And so uh, what I did was I've done other research as well, um, but I started looking into how the brain processes movement because essentially hockey sense is – your ability to read the play. That's what people say. Your ability to anticipate and read the play. Well, in education and in research, uh, using non-sport um, kind of experiments, they actually have been able to test humans' ability to uh, anticipate things, to read things based off of biological markers of people. And so I did a ton of research, and it's called Perception of Biological Motion. And I don't expect many people to understand what that is. But essentially, it is your ability to perceive the movement of others around you in relation to you. And there are tests that have been done in tennis and in soccer and figure skating and many other sports um, that say, okay, yes, elite athletes have a significantly higher ability to perceive biological motion that allows them to do things like stop penalty kicks. Um, and so for me, I look at it and I go, okay, maybe the athletes don't understand what it is, but then you watch an interview with Manuel Neuer, who is far and away the greatest goalkeeper of the generation in soccer. And he's talking about all the things he looks at for when he's stopping a penalty. And then I go and I read the research and it's, the same thing. He just doesn't know what he's explaining. Wow. Said so I applied it to hockey. Okay, can this be applied to hockey? Well, it can. And so for me, um, now it's looking at measuring those things. So if I'm drafting a player and I think he has good hockey sense, as part of the combine, maybe part of the measurements that you take instead of just physical stuff is their ability to perceive biological motion because it's a very simple experiment to conduct. It's very easy. Um, so much so that like I've done it on myself, my brother, my sister, and my uh, sister's how, the only turn out. <laughs> so my sister's the only uh, non-athlete in the family. Um, my brother and I both played hockey. I was a gymnast. So that's a, you don't have to worry about the perception of others. Um, and lo and behold, um, it's funny because my brother was always like had so much natural talent, but never really he always felt like he didn't have hockey sense. Whereas I had to work really hard, but I could read the game. My coach, like even now, he says, like, you're the, the smartest player I've ever coached. And so I did this, and lo and behold, I have the best perception of biological motion, then my brother, then a gap, and then my sister. <laughs> because oh, your poor sister. because she doesn't do sports, <laughs> right? Yeah, so no, it made sense. sense, right? So I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to measure and quantify hockey sense, then instead of sending out these inane interviews to these draft-eligible players, maybe we have them identify point light displays. Maybe we have them go through perception of biological motion training. And 
there is uh, in soccer, they're using VR. Um, and even in hockey now, I believe it's S sense um, or sense something like that, uh, where they're using because players have been off with COVID and off with injuries. They're using VR to do like drills and stuff like that. Well, if they can do that, maybe we can use VR to train and improve hockey sense because right now it's just kind of this black box. You can improve skating, you can improve shooting and passing, but people always say you either have it or you don't. And that's not necessarily true. And so I think if we can unlock a way to teach hockey sense, then we've got something. But for me, the way you quantify hockey sense is, is the ability to perceive the biological motion of other hockey players. And so I wouldn't be surprised to find out that somebody like McDavid and Crosby probably yeah. have higher biological motion perception scores no doubt. than other players, right? The problem is, is can you get them to agree to do it because you've got the CBA, whereas in professional soccer, you don't have that. Well, I found this very, very interesting, and it makes perfect sense. <laughs> like The fact that you can quantify this in other sports – and to draw that connection, I mean, it's a pretty natural one to draw, but I don't understand why people would, you know, put up the barriers aside from the fact that there's still, I think, a hesitancy to, to, you know, conform to traditionalist thinking and think about, you know, old metrics on how we use to measure players, whether it's just like a lap around the rink or, you know, looking at how they perform in skill drills and how they perform off the ice uh, in the traditional manners as being the most important. When in retrospect, if there was one thing that we've learned looking at the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, there are so many different underlying factors that you can use and different metrics you can use to measure a player's effectiveness, not only on the ice, not only measurable on the ice, but off the ice as well. And it certainly seems like what you're researching right now could be the next step into that field. Yeah, and I, and you know what I'm I'm hoping the reason I I don't want to make everything public is because I'd like I know that if I make everything I do public, then teams can just take it and and apply it, and then that like then I don't get hired, right? And then it's not a competitive advantage. And yeah. so for me, I want to make this a competitive advantage for whatever team that I might work for. Um. But to say, like, there you can't quantify hockey sense. Well, I just – I don't think that's true. I think it's a very lazy narrative. And so for me, unlocking lazy, that <laughs> – Tell me about it. I read noticed, scouting but... reports that were five words long. Like, it's ridiculous. And so for me, I think – I'm not saying the way we scout now is bad. I'm saying that there are inefficiencies be and we could be better. And if you don't want to get better, and this is the thing is hockey is so hegemonic that any new idea is perceived as a threat to the old guard as opposed to a competitive advantage. And there are very few teams, Carolina, Toronto, um, that actually see this kind of thing as a positive as opposed to a negative, right? It wouldn't surprise you to find out that after I put that tweet out, three NHL, like personnel from three NHL teams reached out to ask about my research and Carolina and Toronto were two of them. Like that shouldn't surprise anybody. And so I think that, nah, I'm not going to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Had to try. Yeah. No, no, I I fully respect that. It's only because I'm interviewing with them. So, Hey, hey, it's not as it shouldn't surprise anybody. And I think that, I mean, we saw it a couple of years back in baseball where they made the transition with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, most notably, the movie Moneyball came out so starring Brad Pitt, where they basically you know, flipped the, flipped the table on the casino with no payroll. And they were able to un- look at the analytics and find value in players that nobody else saw. And this is basically like where we're going to what we're moving towards in the NHL, that different metrics are going to be extremely valuable moving forward and if certainly if you can quantify hockey sense like that's going to be the the next step in how all teams are going to be looking to like you said draft and then hope maybe secondarily train their talents to be more effective on the ice exactly and i think not only that it let's say you are um a team that puts a premier value on hockey sense. 
in drafting. Like I know there are teams that'll say if he can't skate, not on the list to draft, right? Or character issues, whatever the case may be, not on the list to draft. Um, but let's say you're a team that issues the mandate. I could teach skating. I could teach passing. Uh, whatever, but you've got to be able to read the game or you're not on our list, right? Well, now you can measure it, right? And if you can measure it, then you know who can or should and shouldn't be on your list based on the things that you value. And that in itself takes away an inefficiency that exists within hockey. Because right now, the success rate... So I looked at the success rate of teams... I did 200 games played as the success rate, but now I'm doing game score value added because I want to see, yeah, you could play 200 games, but if it's on the fourth line, that's not nearly as impactful as a player who's played 100 games on the first line, right? Yeah. So are there, uh, first of all, like the team with the highest percentage is like, I think it's like 30% of your draft picks. That's not very good. Um, And so if we can find a way to improve that, then we should because now we're seeing uh, star players are making more and the value of entry-level contracts is enormous. And so if you can get contributions from your young players, that goes a long way to having success in the league. And so if we can improve the efficiency of the drafting and the uh, and how we develop athletes, then I think that we will potentially see um, – the teams that that kind of invest in that kind of thing uh, improve. Well, it sounds like amazing work that you're doing. Congratulations on what you've accomplished to this point. I look forward to reading it in more detail, whatever points it's made public, but understands why you have to keep it under lock and key for the time being. Um, look forward to chatting again in more detail with this in the future. Thanks again for taking the time today, Rachel. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I loved it. Yeah, it's like, it always surprises me. It's like, we've been chatting for an hour. I'm like, oh, I guess I should be wrapping this up soon. But it's like, when you're having a good conversation, it's just like, it just zips by. Yeah, it definitely didn't feel like an hour. I looked down at the clock and I was like, oh, all right then, let's keep going. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you for listening to episode 45 of Leafs Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Ken Stapon, at Leafs Pod, at HockeyPodNet, at Rachel Dory. And we'll catch you next time.